Good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. <coughs> Gateway to the Old West in the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is January 22nd, 22nd day of the new year. 343 days remain to the year's over with. Let's see. Holidays and observances. National Answer Your Cat's Questions Day. National Blonde Brownie Day. National Hot Sauce Day. Celebration of Life Day. Wellington Anniversary Day. Community Manager Appreciation Day. National Polka Dot Day. Farmhouse Breakfast Week. National Fresh Squeezed Juice Week. Family Mediation Week. Snow Sculpting Week, Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, the uh, famous people born on this date is, uh, one of them is Logic, the rapper, and then there's Gabriel Macht. It's Veganary Month, Thyroid Awareness Month, National Slow Cooking Month, Bread Machine Baking Month. National Skating Month, January, Dry January, <coughs> National Blood Donor Month. <laughs> well, I apologize. Every time I think this crap I've got is over, it comes back with a cough. International Brain Teaser Month, National Clean Up Your Computer Month, National Soup Month, Get Organized Month, International Creativity Month. Celebration of Life Month, National Oatmeal Month, National Decan the Food Servers Month, National Hot Tea Month, and I've done a lot of hot tea recently, National Birth Defects Awareness Month, Get a Balanced Life Month, and National Hobby Month. In 613, eight-month-old Constantine is crowned as co-emperor by his father, Heraclius, at uh, Constantinople, which was the Byzantine Empire, or the Eastern Roman Empire. In 871, the Battle of Passing, West Saxons led by King Althered I are defeated by the Danelaw Vikings at Basing. 1506, the first contingent of 150 Swiss guards arrive at the Vatican to be the new bodyguards for the Pope. 1517, the Ottoman Empire under Selim I defeats the Mamluk Sultanate and captures present-day Egypt at the Battle of Redania. 1555, the Ava Kingdom falls to the Tungu Dynasty in what's now Myanmar. <coughs> 1689, the Convention Parliament convenes to determine whether James II and the Seventh, the last Roman Catholic monarch of England, Ireland, and Scotland, had vacated the thrones of England and Ireland when he fled to France in 1688. 1808, the Portuguese royal family arrives in Brazil after fleeing the French army's invasion of Portugal two months before. 1824, the Ashantis defeat the British forces on the Gold Coast. 
the Ashantis, for those that are not familiar, uh, are part of the Aikan ethnic group, are native to the Ashanti region of modern-day Ghana. Uh, Ashanti, uh, Asantis are the last group to emerge out of the various Aikan civilizations. They developed the Ashanti Empire along Lake Vault in the Gulf of Guinea. <coughs> 1849, Second Anglo-Sikh War. Siege of Moulton ends after nine months when the last Sikh defenders of Moulton, Punjab, surrender. 1863, the January Uprising breaks out in Poland, Lithuania, and Belarus. Name of the national movements to regain Polish, Lithuanian, Ruthenian Commonwealth uh, from occupation by Russia. 1879, the Battle of Sandwana. During the Anglo-Zulu War, it results in a British defeat. Um, I remember reading about that. The the ammo boxes took a special key to open them. And the the sergeants in charge of the keys wanted the paperwork done before they released them to the soldiers that needed the ammo. This was uh, the first major encounter in the Anglo-Zulu War between the British and the Zulu Kingdom. Eleven days after the British invaded Zululand in southern Africa, a Zulu force of uh, 20,000 warriors attacked a portion of the British main column consisting of about 1,800 British colonial native troops with about uh, 350 civilians. The uh, Zulus were equipped mainly with the traditional Asagi iron spears and cowhide shields. But they had a number of muskets and antiquated rifles. The British and the colonial troops were armed with the modern Martini Henry breech-loading rifles and also had two seven-pounder mountain guns deployed as field guns and had a hail rocket battery. Zulus had a vast disadvantage in the weapons technology, but they greatly outnumbered the British, and they ultimately overwhelmed them. Killed about 1,300 troops, including all those in the, uh, on the forward firing line. Zulu army suffered somewhere between one and three thousand casualties. The um, eighteen seventy nine, on this date, the Battle of Rourke's Drift, also during the Anglo Zulu War, and about nine point three miles away from this Lenwana, uh, the British won there. Um, they had. Um, Warwick's Drift, um, also known as the Defense of Warwick's Drift, was uh, a successful British defense of the mission station at Warwick's Drift. It was under the command of Lieutenant John Chard and the Royal Engineers and Gonville Bromhead of the 24th Regiment of Foot. Uh, a large contingent of Zulus broke off from their main force during the final hour of the British defeat at the day-long Battle of the Sandwana. Uh, to attack Rourke's Drift later that day. Just over 150 British and colonial troops defended the station against attacks by as much as uh, as many as 4,000 Zulu warriors. The massive but piecemeal attacks by the Zulu on Rourke's Drift came close to overwhelming the garrison, but they were consistently uh, repelled. Eleven Victoria Crosses were awarded to individual defenders, along with a number of other decorations and honors. The... Um, Rourke's Drift was actually uh, a mission statement of the Church of Sweden. 
and the former trading post of uh, James Rourke, a merchant from the Eastern Cape of Irish descent. Eighteen ninety, the ninety mine workers of America is founded in Columbus, Ohio. Nineteen oh one, Edward the Seventh is proclaimed king of the United Kingdom after the death of his mother, Queen Victoria. Nineteen oh five, Bloody Sunday, in Saint Petersburg, began the nineteen oh five revolution. Nineteen oh six, SS Valencia runs aground on rocks on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. Kill more than 130 people. 1915, over 600 people are killed in Guadalajara, Mexico when a train plunges off the tracks into a canyon. 1917, American entry into World War I. President Wilson of the still neutral United States calls for peace without victory in Europe. Basically the same type of um, drivel coming out of the current White House about um, the Middle East. 1919, Act Zuki is signed, unifying the Ukrainian People's Republic and the Western Ukrainian National Republic. 1924, Ramsey McDonald becomes the first Labor Prime Minister of the UK. 1927, Teddy Wickham gives the first live radio commentary of a football match. It was between Arsenal, FC, and the Sheffield United at um, Highbury. 1941, World War II, British and Commonwealth troops captured Tobruk from Italian forces during Operation Compass. 1943, World War II, Australian-American forces defeated Japanese Army and Navy units in the bitterly fought Battle of Bunagana. 1944, World War II, Allies commenced Operation Shingle, an assault on Anzione, Natuno, Italy. Uh, 1946, in Iran, uh, Quasi Muhammad declares the Independent People's Republic of Mahabad at uh, Shehar Shirag Square in the Kurdish city of Mahabad. Becomes the new president, uh, Haji Babashit becomes the prime minister. 1946, creation of the Central Intelligence Group, foreign under the CIA, took place on this date. It was put together from uh, parts of the old SS from World War II. 1947, KTLA, the first commercial television station west of the Mississippi, begins operation in Hollywood. 1957, Israel withdraws from the Sinai Peninsula. Also in 1957, a New York City mad bomber, George Matetsky, arrested in Waterbury, Connecticut, and charged with planting more than 30 bombs. The... Um, the mad bomber was an American electrician a mechanic who terrorized New York City for 16 years in the 40s and 50s. He planted explosives in theaters and terminals, libraries, and offices. Bombs were left in phone booths, storage lockers, and restrooms in public buildings, including Grand Central Terminal, Pennsylvania Station, Radio City Music Hall, New York Public Library, the Port Authority Bus Terminal, RCA Building, even in the subway. Bomb movie theaters where he cut into seat upholstery and slipped his explosive device inside. He died at the age of 90 in 1994. Uh, he had anger and resentment about uh, the so-called workplace injury. 
1963, the LSA Treaty of Cooperation between France and West Germany is signed by Charles de Gaulle and Conrad Adenauer. 1967, between dozens and hundreds of anti-Somocista demonstrators are killed in the Nicaragua by the Nicaragua National Guard in Managua. Uh, 1968, Apollo program. Apollo 5 lifts off, carrying the first lunar module into space. Also in 1968, Operation Igloo White, a U.S. electronic surveillance system to stop communist infiltration in South Vietnam, begins uh, installation. 1970, Boeing 747, the world's first jumbo jet, enters commercial service for launch customer uh, Pan American Airways with its maiden voyage from New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport to uh, London Heathrow Airport. 1971, the Singapore Declaration, one of the two most important documents to the uncodified Constitution of the Commonwealth of Nations, is issued. 1973, the Supreme Court of the U.S. delivers its decision to Lowe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, legalizing elective abortion in all 50 states. That has since been overturned, much to the chagrin of the Democratic Party. 1973, the crew of Apollo 17 addresses a joint session of Congress after the completion of the final Apollo moon landing mission. 1973, a chartered Boeing 707 explodes in flames up on landing at the Kano Airport, Nigeria. Killed 176. 1973, a bout for the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship in Kingston, Jamaica. Challenger George Foreman knocks down champion Joe Fraser six times in the First two rounds before the fight stopped by referee Arthur Mercanti. 1984, Apple Macintosh, the first consumer computer to popularize the computer mouse and the geographical user interface, is introduced during a Super Bowl 13 television commercial. 1987, Philippine security forces opened fire on a crowd of 10,000 to 15,000 demonstrators at the Malacanag Palace in Manila, killed 13 people. 1992, rebel forces occupied Zaire's national radio station in Kinshasa, broadcast a demand for the government's resignation. 1992, space shuttle program. Space shuttle Discovery launches uh, STS-42, carrying Dr. Roberta Bonder, who becomes the first Canadian woman and first neurologist in space. 1995, Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Belt limited uh, belt lid suicide bombing. Central Israel near Netanya. Two Gazans blow themselves up at a military transit point. Killed 19 Israeli soldiers. Didn't accomplish much else. 1998 Space Shuttle Program. Space Shuttle Endeavor launches on SCS 89 to dock with the Russian space station Mir. 1999 Australian missionary Graham Staines and his two sons are burned alive by radical Hindus while Sleeping in their car in eastern India, which accomplished nothing. Uh, 2006, Evo Morales is inaugurated as president of Bolivia, becoming the first uh, country's first indigenous president. 2007, at least 88 people are killed when two car bombs explode in the Balb El uh, Sharki market in central Baghdad, Iraq. And in 2009, President Barack Obama signs an executive order to close the Guantanamo Bay detention camp. Congressional um, opposition prevents it from being implemented. 
He came into office with such big plans. Unfortunately for him, uh, common sense ruled the day. Well, last week we talked about curses. And apparently a lot of folks like that topic. And I got uh, quite a number of suggestions of other curses to talk about. One that we've all seen operate is uh, the Superman curse. Now, probably the most famous <coughs> actor to play Superman was George Reeves. The TV Superman, the first TV Superman. He, um, and of course, I've fashioned all those comic books and movies and TV shows. You know, Superman really doesn't need any introduction. <coughs> but even those well aware of, uh, the character may not be aware of what's referred to as the Superman curse. Widely discussed by fans and uh, industry insiders, uh, it targets those who played the role in movies or TV, along with a number of others associated with him. Um, the first individual upon whom it really acted was... <coughs> excuse me. George Reeves, uh, the actor who played Superman on TV beginning in 1951. Uh, he'd had some early success in his career. He played one of the Tarleton twins on Gone with the Wind. Despite being a fan favorite, though, after the show ended, his uh, career faltered. He was typecast as Superman, which made it difficult to get uh, any other comparable roles. He died of a gunshot uh, in his home in 1959. Now, his death was ruled a suicide, even though the gun did not have his fingerprints on it. He had been dating the uh, estranged wife of... Um, one of the big shots in the movie business. And he was looking at, uh, we're going to bring back the series. And he'd go back to playing the title role of Superman. But um, there was a party at the house that night. And uh, he had to get some sleep because he had a early casting call. And one of the people there commented, uh, when somebody said, where's George? When went upstairs to shoot himself. Now, was that a facetious comment or a statement of fact? Well, a little time later, there was a gunshot. He was found sitting at the foot of the bed, dead. Been shot in the head. Now, the Superman curse didn't apply just to actors. It also uh, 
hit comic creators Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Uh, they're the ones that actually, um, what it all accounts, created uh, Superman. And despite Superman's global popularity, they had a major lawsuit going on against DC Comics for compensation. Uh, resulted in years of financial struggle and emotional distress. Uh, 1975, uh, Siegel kind of added fuel to the flames. Sent a nine-page letter expressing his fury over lost profits and lack of credit. Uh, wish misfortune on the film and everybody associated with it. Uh, he said, I, Jerry Siegel, the co-originator of Superman, put a curse on the Superman movie. Well, you know, he had an idea, yes. DC said, well, we we actually created the Man of Steel as he is known. Now, Christopher Reeve, uh, no relation to George Reeve, uh, became a superstar by putting on Superman's cape in uh, four blockbuster films during the 70s and 80s. But call it fake, call it a curse, call it being clumsy. Uh, he had a horseback riding accident, paralyzed him from the neck down. Okay. We're talking about uh, who killed Superman. <coughs> There's been a lot of hype, of course. Stories of curses. You know, the question about George Reeves, to my mind, the original Superman, <coughs> was it suicide? Was it a hit? Nobody really knows for sure, but uh, the death of George Reeves, the original Superman's got all the elements of a classic Hollywood mystery. You know, before the, any of the baby boom martyrs, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and <coughs> Marilyn Monroe, Elvis, it was George Reeves, TV's first Superman, found dead in June of 1959 in his home at Benedict Canyon. You know, to a generation of children raised on his exploits, reaping tall buildings and faster than a speeding bullet. The notion that Superman killed himself was just inconceivable. And maybe it was. You know, the house where Reeves died stands a short distance up Benedict Canyon in the hills and narrow meandering lanes north of Sunset Boulevard. Among those who've lived there, Rudolph Valentino, Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks. <coughs> Marion Davies, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and the infamous Pia de Zadora. Within a mile of that house was uh, CeeLo Drive, where Charles Manson's family members massacred Sharon Tate and her friends in August of 
1969. In the mid-1990s, Heidi Fleiss ran her string of escorts from a well-concealed house some ways to the north. On secluded Beverly Crest Drive, Rock Hudson, for decades, enjoyed his exclusively gay off-screen private life, hosting all-male Sunday parties around his pool until he caught AIDS and had to endure his last few days on Earth beneath the uh, churning blades of news helicopters circling overhead. Well, compared to these big names, George Rees was... Not very big. A cardboard star in the new medium of television. Number 1579, been in the Canyon Drive, was a, a modest house. Three rooms downstairs, a bedroom and a bathroom in the attic. Bought for Reeves in 1950 by his longtime lover, Tony Mannix. He was married to the MGM studio enforcer, Eddie Mannix. And it was in his bedroom his body was found and. the... Uh, Early morning of June 16th, 1959, his actual fiancée, Lenora Lemon, reputedly a headline-hungry gold digger, sat downstairs with a house guest by the name of Robert Condon and two neighbors, all of them pretty much plastered when the police arrived. In the windowless upstairs bedroom, Reeves lay naked on the bed in a pool of blood gun between his feet, showcasing beneath his corpse, but in his brain and a spray of his gore stretching up the wall to the slanted ceiling. Well, the coroner deadly police, the coroner was an open and shut case of suicide, and then they closed the case as fast as they could. Newspapers in a frenzy for a week, and then the story went away. But among the dead man's friends, there were many who called it murder. There's no shortage of suspects or motives. Surprisingly enough, the case has never been reopened. But the doubts have never been laid to rest either. There's a new film called Hollywood Land, directed by Alan Coulter. Attempts to unravel the, the many uh, layers of suspicion and uncertainty surrounding Reeves' death. And does a good job of sketching in the Three or four principal theories. Unlike uh, Brian De Palmer's uh, movie, The Black Dahlia, set a decade earlier than Hollywood Land, Coulter's movie has a remarkably confident feel for Los Angeles in the 1950s. As a living era in a vivid locale. Reeves was a has-been who was um, seeking a comeback. Um... In fact, Ben Affleck was chosen to play the stumbling superhero. He's a movie star with his own career issues. And as with the many theories that swirl around the unsolved murder of Elizabeth Short, the mutilated Black Dahlia, there are too many contradictory pieces to assemble a single coherent jigsaw puzzle of Reeves' death and murder. Or maybe there are three jigsaws, but not enough pieces to complete any of them. On the night Reeves died, he and Lemon, the woman from who he dumped Mannix, had gone out to dinner and had a lot of drinks. Left condom in the house. They came back at 11 p.m. Reeves went to bed alone about midnight. 
We came down in irritable mood an hour later when uh, Condon's lover, Carol Van Runkle, a married neighbor, showed up with uh, William Bliss, who lived nearby but was hardly known to the others. Condon said later that Reeves actually apologized for being in a bad mood and went back upstairs. And then, according to the police report, Lemon said he's going to shoot himself. And through this thin ceiling, they heard a bedside drawer open. And Lemon said he's getting the gun out now. He's going to shoot himself. And shortly after that, there was a shot. Bliss ran upstairs and found Reeves dead on the bed. Or at least that's how four relatively drunk witnesses um, said it went down in the uh, very short police interviews conducted before everybody went home. In the uh, week-long investigation that followed, the evidence seal on the property was broken, apparently by Lemon, who immediately left for New York, never to return. She uh, took with her $4,000 in traveler's checks that Reeves supposedly bought for a honeymoon that only Lemon seemed to know anything about. And the coroner's autopsy took place only after the corpse had been thoroughly washed. There was uh, no test for powder tape. One more time. There was no test for powder traces on Reeves' hand. And even though the top of his skull was removed, nobody checked the head wound for gunpowder traces. That if he shot himself in the head would have been certainly been there. Nothing explained the bruises on the corpse's face and chest. Uh, Reeves certainly showed no signs of suicidal demeanor. Did not leave any note. Died naked, which was somewhat unusual for a suicide. None of his friends who could believe that Reeves, who was a glad-handing, straight-shooting, life-loving guy, had a possible reason to away with himself. Um, only his Superman co-star, Jack Larson, who played uh, Jimmy Olsen, um, accepted the verdict because he made such a mess of things. He uh, forsaked his patroness at a time when his career was apparently in ruins. Um... Everyone believed Tony Mannix could have uh, solved his problems almost overnight. Years later, another cast member, Phyllis Coates, who played Lois Lane, told uh, Sam Kashner and Nancy Schoenberger, authors of Hollywood Kryptonite, a often speculative examination of the case, that she'd got a very disturbing phone call about 4.30 in the morning, uh, on the morning of Reeves' death. It uh, came from Tony Mannix who uh, apparently was beside herself with anxiety. She was hyperventilating and ranting. According to the coach, she said the boy's dead. He's been murdered. Well, Mannix was about the only break Reeves ever got in Hollywood. She was his refuge, his financial salvation, his soulmate, his keeper, and the companion of his happiest years. Uh, Reeves grew up mainly in Pasadena with his overbearing and possessive mother, Helen, who Gave George the name of her second husband, Mr. Basolo. Uh, Jack Warner actually gave him the, the marquee-friendly name he was buried with, George Reeves. But in 1937, George fetched up at the Pasadena Playhouse, where many a movie star uh, emerged. Handsome in that strapping, jut-jawed manner that 
slayed the ladies of the Depression. He signed with Warner, and then he signed to Paramount. The least amount to play one of the Tarleton twins and gone with the win. It was certainly a fabulous opportunity, but it came to nothing because of the ineffectual role or Arn's die job he was uh, forced to wear, according to um, Ben Affleck, was actually Tangerine. Well, the war interrupted Reeves' career. I know he caught some attention in 1943's Flag Waver, so uh, proudly we hail. The director, Mark Sandrich, said he had uh, great plans for George once the war was over, but unfortunately died before anything could come of his promise. By 1951, Reeves was reduced to walk-on parts in Studio Dross. It was a recession. Studios were retrenching, ditching even their big-name stars to save money. Going for stardom in the prosperous 1940s, Reeves had every reason to believe he was now in the wrong line of business. But uh, then Tony Mannix took him under her wing, and everything changed. Born in 1906, Tony Mannix was eight years Georgia's senior. Spirited, vivacious, ex Ziegfeld girl. She had been Eddie Mannix's mistress for a year and only recently married him when she met George, who was at his lowest point in his career. Not that Eddie Mannix was already worried about George and Tony. MGM casting couch had gave him access to any woman he wanted. His fearsome reputation, more than compensating for his Frog Prince cast of feature and gruff demeanor. He and his own mistresses often went on double dates with George and Tony. When they traveled, it was a Mannix's in first class, and the sexual playthings were in coach. And there was a whiff of Joe Gillis and Norma Desmond about George and Tony's relationship, except he wasn't a cynic and she wasn't demented. Well, Hollywood Land notes that the Sunset Boulevard connection in the scene of the dead George on the mortuary table. Um... Sunset Boulevard scrapped. The original opening had William Holden introducing himself post-mortem from the slab and to come with a glimpse of Billy Wilder, Boulevard's director in a nightclub. Um, Tony probably had a Sunset Boulevard in mind when she, uh, very similar to Norma Desmond, gave George a pocket watch inscribed with the legend mad about the boy. And he was certainly a cat boy. House, car, clothes, furniture, vacations. Tony Mannix owned George Reeves, lock, stock, and barrel chest. But it was a loving relationship conducted in the full expectation of marriage once the ailing Eddie Mannix finally succumbed to one of his frequent heart attacks. And the house in Benedict Canyon was always full of their friends. The drink flowed freely from breakfast time onwards, and even Eddie was known to show up and grin his way through the occasional barbecue. 1951, Reeves reluctantly agreed to put on the Superman costume for a full-length TV pilot called uh, Superman and the Mole Men. And afterwards, the team shot 13 half-hour Superman episodes, even though no network was had yet expressed any interest. <coughs> there was something in a can for two years, during which time Reeves appeared in Fred Zinnemann's uh, From Here to Eternity, a surefire hit, just like Gone with the Wind. By the time Eternity was released, Superman had aired, and Reeves was suddenly a bona fide superhero among the apple cheek Boy Scouts and suburban tykes and cowboy outfits. 
Audience was from here to eternity. Preview shouted out there, Superman. And at that point, Reeves knew his career as a serious actor was in trouble. Well, when the Adventures of Superman first aired, it made as great an impact as Elvis and Little Richard would a couple of years later. Reeves was the object of kind of proto-Beatlemania, facing riotous crowds 20,000 strong at department store openings and celebrity galas, fending off kids who jabbed him with pins, pinched him in the stomach, and one queasy occasion even aimed a loaded thirty eight at the Man of Steel. Superman did Reeves' career all the wrong favors. Actors in the series could work on other projects for only a month at a time, which meant careers couldn't be developed. I mean, 2500 bucks a week for 13 weeks was a good enough wage, but not if it had to last 52 weeks. And worst of all, Reeves had been typecast in her worst way. He had borrowed his Carlos problem with none of his money. At the end of every season, Superman... Uh, George Reeves burned his Superman outfit. In the early 1959, after a decade together, Reeves left Tony Mannix for Lenore Lemon, a nightclub hellion who'd been the staple of the gossip column since eloping with a penniless sprig of the Vanderbilt dynasty in 1941. And for the visibly aging Tony, it was a serious blow. George was her shining prize. She built him from the ground up. Without him, she felt doomed to a life of waiting for Eddie Mannix to die. Something which, unfortunately, she thought was taking an unusually long time. She quested herself at home, cried for weeks, and phoned George 20 times a day. Hollywood Land uh, offered a glimpse of Tony's famous temper and backstage in her mouth. She was screamed as she uh, blow smoke rings with her cunt. I'll tell, I'll tell him you're a red and a fag and a lush. Some inconsolable little friends worried about her health. And that's the basis for one of the alter, alternative theories to explain Reeves' death. Now, Eddie Mannix may have been ailing, but he still had minions at hand to do his bidding, even in his sickbed. He'd grown up with Bugsy Siegel and a lot of Irish and Jewish wise guys back from around uh, New Jersey's Palisades Park. He ties with a lead mobster and the chief of police. And for all his philandering, he was actually devoted to his wife. Messed with her and you had to deal with him. Well, in The Fixers, his account of the Stargram reign of Mannix at MGM, E.J. Fleming details the scandals that Mannix may disappear for Louis B. Mayer and his wayward employees. Reckless affairs, drunk driving bust, wife beatings, drug arrest, union beefs. Mannix was thought by many to have had his uncooperative first wife killed in 1937 when her car was run off the road near a Nice spot on by one of Mannix's unsavory pals. Strong-armed men were needed to seek vengeance on the, for the aggrieved Tony. Eddie had him on retainer. But, important question, did he use him? Did Tony have access to him? Kasner and Schoenberger theorized that William Bliss, maybe, and for unknown reasons, Distracted the revelers on the night of Reeves' death, permitting a second man to get upstairs and kill Reeves. And the, but the relative inaccessibility of the bedroom makes this seem unlikely, unless the witness downstairs were scared into silence by the time the police arrived. And that might also explain Tony's otherwise inexplicable <coughs> small hours call to fill his coats. 
1999, Beverly Hills publicist Edward Lazzi claimed on the tabloid TV show Extra that before her death, a bedridden Tony confessed to her priest. While Lazzi was present, she had had George killed. Lazzi said that none of the thugs who worked for Eddie Mannix were alive anymore, and now felt safe to talk. He told the LA Times Tony confessed to the murder because she was absolutely terrified of going to hell. Again, her confession provides no practical explanation of how the TV star was killed with a house full of witnesses. Now, other mysterious bullet holes were found in the house. Two on the floor, one bullet lodged in the wall of the downstairs living room. Lemon claims they got there when she fired a, the gun in an argument with Reeves. And Lemon's violent, uh, volatile nature and Vesuvian temper tantrums have long made her a prime suspect in uh, a number of murder scenarios. But once again, no satisfactory evidence. She did claim 30 years later to a young reporter when she was in her declining years in New York that Bliss had concocted her step-by-step predictions of Reeves' suicide. (coughs) Her subsequent flight from the law is readily explained by what was already known of her routinely scandalous behaviors by any imponderable motive she might have had for bumping off Superman. Still, might plausibly picture some stupid drunken argument over the gun and a Fatal, although accidental, discharge. The gun, though, was too recently oiled to retain fingerprints, his or hers, which leaves the possibility of suicide. Many believe that Reeves' career was in ruins, but not necessarily. Although a lot had been made of his having been pathetically reduced to appearing in Pro-Am wrestling matches dressed in a Superman costume. This was a publicity stunt that uh, Reeves cheerfully undertook during the Superman run. And he trained hard for the few bouts he fought. I mean, this wasn't his likely future. He was ably directed several of the later episodes of Superman. and was well positioned for a career in TV direction, which he took very seriously. He also had his new girlfriend, Lenora. Piece of work to be sure, but still... According to all reports, a lot of fun, and, and a holiday, if not a honeymoon, had been arranged, and he was eagerly anticipating that. Now, he'd been drinking heavily the night that he died, and had the constitution of an elephant. Drink never seemed to affect him. Showcasing found underneath his body suggested certain realities of ballistics not uh, reconcilable with a verdict of suicide. Well, the death of George Reeves continued to perplex and infuriate those who would attempt to solve it. All the witnesses are dead or scattered. The archives are closed. The coroner's report's filed. The the case, at least on paper, allegedly solved. But absolutely nobody was satisfied. What we do have is Hollywood land, a careful and compelling sifting of facts and possibilities. Can't solve the mystery, but it does offer the soul of George Reeves a worthwhile memorial, which is maybe the best he can hope for. Well, you know, he's he's not the only unsolved murder. The um but his is probably one of the best known unsolved murders. If in fact it was murder. There are literally too many suspects.
And then, of course, we have Christopher Reeve. No relation to George. Um, did four blockbuster movies in the Superman costume until he fell off the horse. Was left him paralyzed from the waist from the neck down. Superman director Richard Donner was afraid that uh, he'd actually cause Reeves' accident by subjecting him to the Superman curse. Um. The actor who played Baby Superman in the first of the films died at age 14 of inhalant abuse. And Richard Pryor, the comedian who starred in Superman 3, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis a few years after the movie's released. And let's not forget what um, James Bond said. Once is happenstance, twice is coincidence, three times is enemy action. You know, skeptics may write off these tragedies as coincidences or even the inevitable result of lifestyle choices or the risk associated with fame and acting. And more recent Superman actors, such as uh, Dean Cain, who I, I got a chance to meet at um, some of the events that I've taken part in, and Brandon Ruth have admitted to facing professional struggles after their roles. But other than professional... Uh, stalling of their careers doesn't seem to have been otherwise uh, adversely affected by the so-called Superman curse. In fact, some actors in the recently rebooted Superman franchise, like Henry Cavill, have actually thrived alongside the thousands of other people who contributed immensely to Superman's portrayals and the cast and crews of a large number of movie and TV adaptations. Now, does that mean the Superman curse is not real? No. But it does seem to affect some more than others. Well, then we've got one that became rather famous for a time. The Poltergeist Cursed. I mean, this horror franchise left a trail of tragedies behind. The movies in the Poltergeist series were critically acclaimed for their portrayal of dark supernatural phenomena, but behind the scene. The film set itself was plagued by a string of inexplicable, mysterious occurrences. These incidents uh, would ultimately impact the lives of its cast members in terrifying ways. Tangina, the on-screen medium, was actually a psychic in real life. She also experienced visions in real life, according to Screen Rant, which bolstered some people's belief that there were real supernatural influences at play. It's rumored that real human skeletons were used in some of the final scenes to cut production costs. Now, if that's the case, where the skeletons came from has never been satisfactorily explained. One of the most tragic examples of the poltergeist curse unfolding is the unforeseen death of multiple actors who starred in the series. Heather O'Rourke, a talented child actor who played Carol Ann Freeling, passed away at the age of 12 from septic shock. Dominique Dunn, who portrayed Dana in the first installment, was murdered by an ex-boyfriend at the age of 22. Julian Beck and Will Sampson both died within a year of each other after acting in Poltergeist 2, The Other Side. Well, these unusual and tragic events surrounding the cast members naturally led to speculations that uh, there was a curse plaguing the uh, film series. And while some choose to believe in the supernatural theories, uh, 
Others argue these misfortunes were tragic coincidences. Of course, a lot of things have never been satisfactorily explained. Let's talk about the curse of the movie The Omen, from lightning strikes to tagger injuries to a lethal car crash. Now, The Omen was a cult favorite horror film released in 1976. It's known for its spine-chilling storyline involving the sinister antagonist Damien Thorne, also known as the Antichrist. <coughs> movie unleashed fear in the minds of its audience, but uh, maybe even more terrifying are the tales of curses and eerie incidents associated with its production. Remember, Curse of the Omens presented itself through an array of odd coincidences. Two separate terrifying plane incidents reportedly afflicted uh, key crew members. Executive producer Mason Newfield was on a plane struck by lightning, as was Gregory Peck en route to shooting. Accidents such as an animal handler getting mauled by a tiger, which happened shortly after the filming, fueled belief in the curse's credibility. And after wrapping up the movie, the terror continued with special effects artist John Richardson and his assistant Liz Moore were in a car accident near a road sign that read OMMEN, 66.6 kilometers away. Moore was killed in the accident. And those mishaps led a lot of folks to question whether the omen was more than just an unsettling cinematic experience breeding fear in the real world as well as in the theaters. And not just the movies had its share of curses. There's the curse of Spider-Man on Broadway. This spectacle left some New Yorkers suspecting paranormal influences. 2011 Broadway musical Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark was uh, subject to a string of unexplained misfortunes that uh, left many folks speculating about a possible curse looming over the production. From the beginning, the show seemed to be plagued by a never-ending stream of catastrophes and mishaps. The reviews were a disaster. What the reviews did was turn up the dial on the heat lamps, according to playwright and scriptwriter Glenn Berger. At least that's what he said in an interview with BBC Culture. He said, more and more, I had this image of an experiment on what uh, stress does to rats in a cage. Unfortunately for the production, it seemed that the hits just kept coming. From the outset, production setbacks uh, kept cropping up. Massive budget overrun delayed the play's premiere date uh, multiple times. Even after the show was in production, the the daring aerial stunts they performed uh, posed significant safety hazards to the actors resulted in several high-profile accidents. Most notably was uh, actor Christopher Tierney, fell 30 feet into the orchestra pit, forcing him to be hospitalized with fractured ribs, a hairline skull fracture, and a cracked vertebra. On another occasion, an actress suffered a concussion after being struck by equipment backstage. And additionally, creative differences led to director Julie Taymor's departure from the project halfway through its run. And the financial woes accompanying the record-breaking $75 million budgeted critics laboring at one of Broadway's most expensive flops. But the repeated strange occurrences on the set also painted a chilling picture of a potentially fatally cursed 
theatrical production. Now another one you probably heard of is the Exorcist Curse. Now, the Exorcist was a horror classic that uh, captivated and frightened audiences. This is released in 73. Directed by William Friedkin. The film tells a chilling tale of Reagan McNeil's demonic possession and the subsequent battle to save her soul. Over the years, this legendary movie has gained a reputation for being cursed with several tragic and creepy incidents plaguing its production and its release. In fact, a total of nine deaths have been associated with the Exorcist curse. From the outset, unsettling events surrounded the film's production. One of those incidents um, involved the set burning down under suspicious circumstances. But the bedroom where the site of the film's uh, exorcism uh, took place was untouched. Due to this mysterious fire, a police was called to the set to bless it so the cast and crew members could feel at ease, according to uh, entertainment news site MovieWeb. And most alarming of all, a total of nine deaths, as I said, had been associated with the curse. Among them are actors Jack McGrowan, Vasiliki Miliaros, both, both passed away before their performances even made it to the big screen. And coincidentally, both of them died in a manner similar to what uh, happened to them on the, in the film. Actress Ellen Burstyn suffered a spine injury in an onset accident, leaving her permanently injured. Rumors circulated Linda Blair, who played Reagan McNeil, struggled with her mental health following the film's release. Her performance was so disturbing she received death threats and needed bodyguards for some period of time. Not only did some audience members report feelings of nausea and fainting during screenings, but in Rome, a 16th century church across the, from the theater hosting the premiere was struck by lightning, causing its cross to topple over. These and other alarming events contributed to the going belief the exorcist bore a otherworldly curse. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show, and we've ended our curse segment. But what we will do is be back in our next show with a new off-the-wall topic. Until then, Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.